This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For the past 20 years, I've been working in the apparel industry, sourcing, buying, and printing t-shirts for my clients. The one brand I return to every time is Bella Canvas. They cover all the bases, style, sustainability, color selection, and wearability. These really are the softest shirts available. The best news is they cut their fabric in Los Angeles. And for any of us that know the apparel industry, we know what a big deal this is. Whether you're looking for t-shirts, sweatshirts, joggers, tanks, or long sleeves, Bella Canvas really does have you covered. The best news is that Bella Canvas now has a retail line available at shop.bellacanvas.com, where you can find more information about this amazing company and discover online exclusives. Use the code DBI2021 at checkout to receive 20% off your first order. Limit one per customer. Bella Canvas really did fuel the t-shirt movement. Be different. Be Bella Canvas. Last is the night of October 21st. I'm selfish, immature, and unnecessary, y'all. At that time, I could not even imagine the magnitude of the pain I had caused. And hearing, I was nowhere close to imagining what I had done. And I'm so sorry for that. Caused her so much pain. But for the past few decades of my incarceration, I have made it a practice to place myself in other people's positions and situations to better understand their point of view and try to imagine what they what they are feeling. Whether I agree with them or not, I was able to recognize their humanity which helped to begin my process of change. Kimberly Woodson was sentenced to life without parole at 17 years old. Following the Supreme Court rulings in Miller v. Alabama and Montgomery v. Louisiana, she was resentenced and released after 29 years in the Michigan Department of Corrections. Kimberly wasted no time in looking for ways to help other returning citizens, as well as the communities left broken by mass incarceration. She created Redeeming Kimberly, a nonprofit organization dedicated to restorative justice. In our interview, we discuss how formerly incarcerated individuals can help change the system, taking responsibility for our past mistakes, the continuing problems with Michigan's juvenile life without parole sentencing, parenting, and much more. Your action item for this week is to call or write your congressperson or senator and tell them that we need to pass legislation making the practice of juvenile life without parole a thing of the past. It's cruel and goes against international law. Thank you very much for listening. the time when we talk about mass incarceration and young people, children's being put away, most of the time people talk about it from a male perspective, not understanding that this is an issue that affects both. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I said, you know what, we got to get Kim. And plus you're a trailblazer in Michigan. You came home and you hit the ground running and you ain't forgot about the people left behind. Tell us as much as you feel comfortable about the events that land you in prison and your experience in prison, being a young mother, with a, leaving a child behind and going to prison at such a, a young age. What was it like for a black woman, for that matter, a black young girl going through the system at the time you went through the system? Out of respect for my victim, and they, her family, I don't really name her no more. I used to always name her because everyone knows she has a name and I give it to her. So because of that, I stopped naming her, but Miss Brown was someone I did not know. And because of a love triangle, she got caught up 
and something that had nothing to do with her. Hurt people hurt people, and we were kids in an adult situation, handling adult emotions, and we all know as immaturity and intensified emotions is not a wonderful mix, especially when you have no compass to guide you on how to navigate those emotions successfully. So I was already broken growing up. You know, my mom was paralyzed from the age of nine. From the age, and I was nine, paralyzed from the neck from a domestic violence situation. And my life became a living hell all the way up until that ensued. I was incarcerated. Hurt people hurt people. And when I finally lashed out, I lashed out at the wrong person at the wrong situation. When I had said I had enough, it was the wrong time. I ended up being pregnant during my whole case of first degree murder. I was found guilty. I went to prison. I had my first child incarcerated. As a black young female that had just turned 18 years old and to be told that you will die in prison it leaves a situation to where you can't have hope you either go extremely bad or you try to figure out and navigate your way through life trying to be good I'm not going to say that the first 10 years of my bed I was an angel because I was a little terror I was angry I was bitter and Everybody was my problem but me. Mainly being, I was not mature enough to process everything that was going on inside of me. And on top of that, I was surrounded by older women that was, for whatever reason, was preying on one thing or another. The prison environment is not good for a grown person that might be a little frail, a kid don't stand a chance in an environment like that. They even become super predators or they become very weak individuals that everybody walk over in life. I think I became a super predator the first 10 years and I refused to allow people to walk over me. So I had to find out how to take my aggression and learn how to insert myself. When you're a teenager, you tend to just act without considering the consequences a lot of times. The justices cite research showing the brains of adolescents are still developing. Essentially, you're working with a, a very active brain, but one that doesn't have the inhibition. The inhibition. So sometimes we call, you know, we, we liken the teenage to a teenager to a Ferrari with weak brakes. Making them more susceptible than adults to peer pressure, since the Supreme Court set out the possibility of release for Evans and thousands of others, states have headed in decidedly different directions. Pennsylvania has resentenced one in five of its 517 juvenile lifers. In Michigan, 22 have been released. Unfortunately, Michigan Department of Corrections didn't have those coping skills to give me. And because of my letters, I wasn't qualified to take a lot of different groups. I started clerking for people. And in the process of making connections in prison, I would say, if you need a filler, or if you need a, somebody to help you run your group, I'll staple your papers, I'll do this. I just want to be in the group because I wanted a change. I wanted something better in life. And this system is not designed for us to be better. It's sad that this system has turned into warehousing us. It's all about punishment. It's nothing about what made a child turn to murder. What made any child act up? The murder was the last straw. The child acted up because the very first attention that it got it was because of a negative behavior from a mom that had too many kids and didn't have enough attention to give. So the more I nutted up, the more I got that attention. The more I got that attention, it didn't matter if it was negative attention. You were paying attention to me. And most human beings in life, all they want someone to do is to really see them.
do you see me? Is what every child is crying out. And we as a society take those kids that are unmanageable or misbehaving and it's because we don't have the time or the inclination to find out why because our lives are so complicated and so busy and so complex as the teachers and parents and the village that's supposed to be raising the child we have given up on those children it is better to throw them in a cage and then tell them when you get out don't act like an animal why is that right in society why is it right and that's the reason why after 29 years i got out it's not that i want to fight the system i personally see that it's broken so what there is no huh? what is you was incarcerated at 17. Mm. i had never had a jaywalking ticket never had any kind of t trouble whatsoever one time offense i was not at the even at the scene of the crime i got a natural life sentence for felony murder do you think that a young black woman has it worse than a young brown or black man in the penitentiary as far as treatment no i don't feel like because the women prison is a different culture I fear more for young men in prison than I do for women. It depends on the jail and the setting. Some women prison is like Camp Kadoodles. And some are, let's go to gladiator school. I fear for any human being that's not mentally and emotionally and physically equipped to be in a cage, I feel like the mere essence of being locked up, I don't care who you are, is bad. So I know it's it? necessary. I know it's necessary, but that don't make it humane. So how is it that Michigan, different counties are issuing out different sentences for juvenile lifers when the United States Supreme Court ruled that it is unconstitutional to give out a mandatory life sentence. How is it that these counties Michigan, are issuing out different the, sentences? The law, each prosecutor has the right to implement it how they want. And most prosecutors, because they were lazy, they just blanket all across life life we just resentence everybody to life some some prosecutors like kim worthy she did do a little small sweep and got some of us out and the large majority of them are seeking life i don't feel like they should have the discretion individually per because what happens is one prosecutor if you feel one way about the same crime, which I don't understand. Why are we basing our decision on the crime in itself when we all know that every juvenile lifer was found guilty of first degree murder? That's it. So we can't say, well, if the circumstances were second degree, then we giving them a term of years. No, all the circumstances was first degree murder. You can't go around it. But some of them are trying to say that. Circumstances of the case, they are not applying the Miller factors properly. And then there are some cases that they're circumventing the Miller factors altogether because they say that it does not apply and they can't find it. We, as the community, has to find a way to bridge the gap in between the two. It's so vague and broad, the spectrum that each prosecutor has their own discretion and how they want to implement. I feel here in Michigan, it should be any kind of legislator introduced to rectify. We had to fight way over five years after the law to even make it retroactive in Michigan. And then we had to fight for them to give us good time because they, in the legislature that came, they said, 
we can be resentenced to 25 to 40 with a 60 year tail, but we can't acquire good time. Most of us were sentenced up under the good time statute. You can't take that away. We had to fight that. So Michigan is slow dragging, but I, I mean, believe can you explain, we do. Can you explain to our listeners what the good time statute means? For oh, yes, life? yes, yes, absolutely. Good time back in the day before they had truth in sentencing, you were allowed to get disciplinary credit for being good. If you had no misconducts in one month and you were in your first three years of incarceration, you got five years off each month that you had clear. However, if you receive a misconduct, the warden of that facility can now snatch away all your good time. So if you had five years clear and you got a ticket, they can snatch all the good time that you accumulate. And from your third to fifth year, you now get seven days. And then it goes on. And then after you get up to your 15th year, you get half off each month. So that's very significant for some of us who were incarcerated for decades already. We were way past our 15th year and we needed that half of a year that we would have to do. So if we had 30 years sentenced to 30 and they gave us 40, that 40, 10 years could have been ate up with our good time and we could have been released. They didn't want that to happen. We fought for it and we got it. And now in Michigan, we are trying to make sure that everybody can get good time. Everybody has an incentive here to be able to earn disciplinary credits to work their way out of the system. Right now it's designed that if you be bad, you punished. If you do good, you get nothing. You're just gonna do five years flat. And if I'm good, I should be able to get out for or three years. If I'm bad, they flop you all the way up to your tail. Where's the incentive for me as an individual to go into the system from making one mistake and say, okay, I learned this lesson. Let me do everything I can to help myself and change myself. And on top of that, the reward is my sentence will be cut down, son. Well, it's good news for dozens of juvenile lifers in Michigan who have yet to be resentenced. The AG's office has reached a settlement with the ACLU to make sure those hearings are scheduled in a timely fashion. Lauren Edwards joining us live after speaking with an attorney and an advocate about the settlement. Lauren? Doug and Janice, we spoke a few hours ago when she said this settlement was major news and it was years in the making, but she's grateful, saying it could give a lot of people a second chance. We have been fighting for 10 years, basically, to give these children, now adults, a second look. Civil rights attorney Deborah LaBelle and the ACLU making it possible for people sentenced as juveniles to get their resentencing hearings on the book. Their sentences were vacated um, first by the U.S. Supreme Court in, uh, in 2012, and then Michigan resisted applying that, and then the Supreme Court came back and said, no, it applies to everybody who's been sentenced. So how much Why not give it to parole time are juvenile lifers doing after release in Michigan? If they get parole, they do two flat years. And then they're off the books? Yes. I'm completely off now. I'm completely discharged. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What number you made when you first came out? You was one of the first... About juvenile I was the second. I was the second female juvenile lifer to be released. Yes, I was the second, and it, and it really, to be honest, out of the twelve juvenile female lifers in Michigan, we only have four out. That's sad. That's how slow they're they're dragging. You would think that the twelve would have an opportunity to be resentenced at least. I don't understand the concept with giving them life again. If I was not mentally mature enough when I made the decision the first time, it's not gonna change my maturity level when I committed to crime. What you can do is give me hope for my future so that I can show you that I am somebody. Give me my first chance because a lot of us never got it. So I'm through saying we getting our second chance because a lot of us never ever received our first chance. 
And that's what I'm asking for for my sisters and brothers across the United States. Let's end it. Let's really end it. Let's make it blank. No more natural life sentences for anybody that was a kid. We don't care. We don't care what the circumstances of the case was. They was not mature enough. It doesn't matter. And they kids are sponges. We imitate what we've seen. So as a society, we have conditioned our kids like Abraham, Nathaniel Abraham, the 11 year old that they locked up. But he learned how to shoot a gun playing video games. And this boy life has been messed up. He went to the prison, he, he got out at 18. He been in and out, in and out. If I'm not mistaken, he back in. His life is messed up and everybody know him. So how can he get a job? Anybody that he tried to go get a job, they automatically know, oh, this is the 11 year old boy who shot somebody for fun. We stick past our kids and then we expect them to have a wonderful future. As a young mother, you went to prison. What was your relationship with your daughter? I had my daughter incarcerated and because of my wonderful, phenomenal mom, I was able to have a wonderful bond with my daughter that most didn't. I saw her a lot. I was part of the children visitation program that we once a month, we were able to have a visit for three hours without any caregivers there. And that allowed me to really have a bond with my child. Now we not as, as good as we can be because I can be the first to say mothering from prison is not a good feat. And nobody wins when you lock up a mother. The child suffer and the mother suffers. Man, so one of the things you mentioned was that <laughs> is the number, the very small number of resentencing hearings that have happened. I got a spreadsheet the other day also showing that many of the men are getting resentenced, especially in certain counties. And I will point out all black men to life again. Some of them were incarcerated originally at the age of 15. How is this even happening? I mean, are, are the prosecutors in those counties just like, we don't care, we're just gonna send, we're- We just recently removed one regime in Oakland County. And the fight that we're facing is the prosecutors are not progressive enough. They aren't willing to step out on the edge because in their mind, all they thinking about is the victims, the victims' families. You know, I've had a prosecutor tell me, I don't know how I'm going to have to explain to the victim's family that we're gonna do, I said, easy. This was a child that made a mistake. This child is now grown. You feel like they paid enough and it's time to go. In any other state, they would have gotten a lesser time and have been out by now. This is ridiculous. No matter how much time I do, your loved one will never come back. And please, I don't want anybody to feel like I don't feel for the victim. Because Miss Amy Brown, every day I live and breathe, and I've never met that lady in person, but I can't wait to get to heaven to ask her in person, do you forgive me? But every day that I live and breathe, I do something to make her proud and I don't know her. I have a restorative justice with Redeeming Kimberly. It's called labor of love, where I invite victims of violent crimes or family members of violent crime to come tell their pain to a audience full of returning citizens like myself. And in turn, if the individual that wronged them is there, they stand up and they apologize. And if not, somebody else step up. And those are juvenile lifers that they threw away. Those are my bros and my sisters that don't mind showing up and showing out and trying to heal somebody else. Because why? Because some of us will never get the opportunity to facilitate that kind of forgiveness with our victims and their families. So we are trying to help other people. I understand how easy it could have been me. You know, because the lifestyle that I came from and the environment that I grew up in, it bred drug addicts in prison, which I ended up being a prisoner and the prison ended up being a blessing. 
because now I'm back out here and I'm able to share the blessing that was given to me with others. Yeah, I was telling Suave earlier today, I one of the groups <coughs> I volunteer with at San Quentin is a restorative justice group. And the first time I went in there, I spoke as, you know, and this is one of the things we also want to focus on in this show is the idea of going from victim to actor in the crime to victim again, whether it's being victimized in prison when you're serving time. For me, going in there, having, and I didn't mention this, but I'm 22 years clean from heroin and did what I called my tour of county jails on the West Coast, but was lucky enough you know, and privilege enough. I don't make any bones about it because I was white. I got off easy, you know, and there's no doubt about that. I mean, people want to debate criminal stats and, oh, there's more crime in these areas. Given the police presence, they should be the safest areas in the world, quite honestly. But when you train people to commit crime or you give them no hope, the results are going to be what the results are. But going in there and speaking in front of those group of men was one of the greatest honors of my life. You know, I got to talk about what I did as, as somebody that stole from people, frightened people, broke the trust of the people who loved me. And then what it was like to recover from that, you know, from that addiction and then come back and have, you know, be assaulted when I was sober and out of jail, you know, and have my car broken into and my business broken into and my house broken into. And, but at that time I had a much better understanding because I had gone back and apologized to the people that I had harmed and gotten the forgiveness that I desperately needed, you know, and some people didn't want to talk to me, but that restorative justice piece and the fact that there are people that have been through such trauma that want and crave this and then give it back to other people. That's the hope right there for me. And when I hear you talk about it, I can't help. I got a little choked up. I had to mute myself for a second. Cause I'm like, it was honestly going into doing doing restorative justice circles inside of San Quentin State Prison, and it, unfortunately we can't do it right now because of the pandemic, is the honor of my life. It is watching people truly change before your eyes and take accountability and responsibility for what they've done. And that's the thing that Suave and I have run into with almost every interview. When we talk to people, former juvenile lifers, people that are now out, even people that are still locked up the first thing they do is mention the victim which is what you did and then they talk about how to restore their lives and the lives of the the victims of those crimes i i think that people really need to understand this that we're talking about human beings here and yes you didn't you weren't given a chance the first time around and what what does society owe you you've served your time you've paid your debt to us as a society in Suave's case, he's he's on lifetime parole. It's a little different situation. And I don't feel like that's fair. Yeah. I feel like, and that's something that I am going to fight for. As soon as I ratify natural life sentences in Michigan, I'm going to get rid of lifetime parole in Philadelphia. I'm going to get my brothers free. <laughs> How's that yeah, sound? We well, gonna like... get that. Yeah. You know, no, no seriously, that's ridiculous. How much? More, I mean, for real. It's almost like we don't want y'all out, and because you got out, we're gonna punish you for the rest of your life. You gotta be on parole forever. It's not the question that I ask every politician that come on the show: is if the United States Supreme Court ruled that it was unconstitutional to keep a person that committed a crime under the age of eighteen in prison? or sentence that person to a mandatory life sentence, how is it legal to keep that same person on parole for life? Because parole is an extension of the prison system. Yes, it is. So how is it legal? And I just- You, you know, a prisoner of of that state forever. That's not I fair. Challenge, I challenge every politician, every DA, every state legislator to challenge that. I challenge every lawyer they have the desire to stand in front of the United States Supreme Court to take this issue back to the court and ask the question, is it fair to keep that same juvenile that you claim was in prison on Constitution with a mandatory life sentence to keep that person on parole? And let's see what the United States Supreme Court rule or will say. So to me, it's an issue that, that needs to be fought again and it's, a it's like it's a weight of on. It's like it's a anchor connected tether to it, every last one of y'all, and it's almost like you're not free 
you don't get to really enjoy the true meaning of being free for the rest of your life. You don't get to go Hawaii. You don't get to go to Jamaica. You don't get to what? I mean, what is that? I mean, come on. You got to ask permission to travel. This is way too much. You free. But at the same time, it's a testament that we still live in in a society that hides behind the false pretense. We got to reform the system, but yet the institutions are full with racism. Because the people that's making these decisions for us are a bunch of people, right? That have no relationship, that have no care. They probably have stocks in the market with these private corporations and prisons. So I say to you and to anybody else, right? It's not fair for someone to be incarcerated, serve 30, 40 years and come home and still be on parole. It's not fair to our family. It's not fair to our community. It's not fair to anyone. Because at the end of the day, like you said, no matter what harsh punishment you put me under, you cannot return that victim back. So the best thing we do is let us redeem ourselves because the system yeah. do not redeem us. The system do everything they can to keep us oppressed. As a lifer, you can't even go for a GED test. You have to do what Miss Kimberly did. Beg people, let me clerk in your program just to get it, uh, the experience of that program. Just to even have it on your record, well, I clerk for this program because yeah. In different states, different lifers are not allowed to participate. But yet you want me to go to prison and rehabilitate to what? If you're not giving me the chance. It's the same thing when you come home. They expect you to have a job. They expect you to how can sustain you have yourself. A job? So how can I sustain myself if I don't have sustainable employment? How can I have housing if I don't have credit? Because I was incarcerated for 30, 40 years and nobody would rent to me because I don't have the credit. Checker, a longtime partner of my company, Social Imprints, is a sponsor of this podcast. Checker is a fair chance employer and the leading technology company in the background check industry. They're building a fairer future through technology that balances trust, safety, and fairness. A past record should not be a barrier to the pursuit of life and professional successes. Checker helps companies and candidates achieve their goals with products like Assess, Candidate Stories, and help with candidate expungements, among others. To learn more about Checker, these expungement services, or how to become a fair chance employer, go to Checker at Checker.com. Thank you, Checker. How can you establish a pattern? Because even though you're not supposed to check the box no more, everybody that do a background check automatically because you actively on parole that automatically comes up so it's no way like for myself by me being off parole now when they pull me up something that happened in 88 is not probably popping up but again I say to the people that these are issues that are seriously affecting the structure of the family in different communities in different states it falls on us those with the platform to um address these issues because what we see in here is a woman a young african-american woman that went to prison at the age of 17 coming home running restorative justice group not only for herself but for the victims and other juvenile lifers that alone tells you that that person miss kimberly woodson aged out of any criminal mentality you know her mission now is to redeem herself and educate the community and this is why we always say we are more than our worst mistake Brian Stevenson said it best it said it best and it's crazy that Michigan and Pennsylvania are parallel with the number of juvenile lifers that they house yet Pennsylvania has let out a bunch of juvenile lifers, but we all on parole. Michigan has let out a handful, but after two years, they're off of papers. So you see the contradiction in both states? It's like almost like 
the ones that like I had a prosecutor tell me that they will be more comfortable releasing certain individuals if they can have some kind of supervision of them afterwards because of the good time that they will be earning if they gave them a term of years they will be released and this individual because of the circumstances of the case the prosecutor didn't feel comfortable enough sleeping at night releasing the individual because of the prison record yada 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 gang affiliation just got out the hole just you know how we do and basically since 2012 this individual has shown no signs of even pretending to change because we do have those individuals that start straightening up after they seen hope and i had to let them know that too i said it doesn't matter because whatever sign of, of a light that i saw if it gave me a glimmer of hope and i started changing it doesn't matter i didn't have hope before that i didn't have a reason to go because the hardest thing anyone have to do is self-reflection i still say that is a bullshit excuse for the, any prosecutor because the united it states is. because the united states supreme court clearly said that anyone under the age of 18 that committed a crime that's sentenced to life must be taken back and resentenced and all mitigating factors must be taken in consideration we got to keep in mind america we got to keep in mind that we are talking about black and brown people we are not talking about white people being resentenced we're talking about black faces and latino faces let's keep that in perspective so of course oh a, a, a gingerbread prosecutor in suburban Michigan is gonna have. I can't sleep at night if I let a brother or a sister out. You know, let's cut it out. Let's call it for what it is. It's racism. It is racism, right? Displaying and infusing these decisions in Michigan, right? And we, as citizens of this country, the conscious mind, we must stand behind them brothers in Michigan. Because if we don't, we just as bad as them prosecutors. You can't tell me that prosecutors are overlooking what the Supreme, this United States Supreme Court said. You cannot. Yeah, they are saying that in rare that. cases, rare, I don't know how we got all these rare cases in Michigan, y'all. I don't know how we got them, but in rare cases, they can give them another life sentence. In rare cases. You we know, have so many rare, rare cases, know, rare ain't rare no more. Again, in Pennsylvania, they made us wait five years to get resentenced. Five years, from mm -hmm. 2012. And the, you know, when the Supreme Court ruled, again, that's when we started seeing people getting resentenced. Mm -hmm. In Michigan, which whole I think it's the same amount of juvenile life. It was, uh, no, had. Pennsylvania has more. Pennsylvania had. had more than juvenile. Michigan had, I believe, 365. Okay, we, I know we was neck to neck. I know it was mm -hmm. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Michigan. And Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Right? You can't tell me that Pennsylvania haven't found one rare case yet. Michigan has every, found them all. Every case in Michigan is rare. Every case I is know, rare. I know individuals in Pennsylvania, right, with three and four homicides as juveniles. They are now productive members of the community. Right? What I would not I say feel, they out of respect, but, but what, what I'm saying I do is, feel. what I'm saying in, in America, to America, the people that's hearing us are close across the border, right? That until we eradicate the racism that exists in these institutions, we gonna have situations like what's going on in Wayne County in Michigan, where every juvenile, may I say black defender and Hispanic has been re-sentenced to life. That is acceptable, and it goes against the United States Supreme Court ruling. I feel like it doesn't matter what color a person is. 
as they were under the age of 18 when they caught their case and they received a natural life sentence as a result of it, which is yeah. death by incarceration. Can you completely say that again, so Death by incarceration. Absolutely no hope whatsoever. I feel like everybody deserves their chance. You can call it a second chance, but I'm telling you, the majority of us never receive the first chance. No child is born bad. Y'all made us that way. And then just throw away and not look at your mistakes and your neglect. You rather throw us away close the door, cut the lights off, and say, animal, let me know when you die in. That's not fair. You wouldn't do that to dog, a cat. I've seen people trying to save a whale on a beach. Let's figure out why our kids are hurting and lashing out and get to the root of those problems, which mostly are racemic situations that the very core of our society put in place over a hundred years ago to cause us to fail and the nerve of some of us to make it out and have the nerves to say I want them out too. William Washington enjoys working outdoors. That's because he spent the previous 41 years in a place like this. The 59-year-old from Detroit is one of dozens of inmates sentenced to life without parole for crimes committed when they were juveniles, who have been released after the Supreme Court ruled such mandatory sentences were cruel and unusual punishment. You know, sometimes you think, you, you, okay, well, maybe I do deserve to be locked up for 40, 50 years. And then sometimes anger sets in and be like, hell no, nah, I don't deserve this. The Associated Press looked into how judges and prosecutors in all 50 states are weighing the cases of so-called juvenile lifers after the Supreme Court said that all but the rare irredeemable juvenile criminal should have a chance at parole one day. The AP found the odds of release or continued imprisonment vary greatly, making justice seem arbitrary. Some juvenile lifers have been resentenced and released. Others, like Johnny Beck Jr., have not. No person that I know is the same at 25, 30, 35 that they were at 16. So Kimberly, we have a lot of listeners that's gonna be listening to your voice. You are a beacon of hope in Michigan to a lot of people. But what message do you have to other young women, other young girls out there that might be thinking of committing a crime or might be getting, get caught up with a man that pushed them to commit this crime. And what message do you have to them young girls and women that are thinking like, I love this dude, I do anything for this dude? Because my next question to you after you ask that is, did any of the people you were in love with, man, still by your side? for 29, 30 years that you serve? Okay, I'm gonna first ask the first question and that is, know your worth, young ladies. Know your worth. Self-esteem is how you feel about yourself. Too many of our black and brown young ladies look at the image they see in magazines and on the TV screen and they decide that they don't measure up to what they see, so they become undesirable. Your beautiful brown skin is yours. You are who you need to be for you. Love yourself first. Always know your worth. And always, I don't care how much pain you might be in, there's always somebody else that can be there for you. I didn't listen to my mom and my grandmother. I thought they was trying to stop me from having fun because I was in love. Yeah. You couldn't tell me nothing about my baby daddy. Ooh, I was so in love. 
I was so in love. Mm. And then I had to realize I didn't even love myself, so I couldn't love him. Because when you hurting and you broken, you don't look good in the mirror. I don't care how much makeup you put on the outside. When that soul is broke, you have to heal it. You matter. And stop telling little girls that that little boy that hit her like her. Stop conditioning our kids to feel like a hit is a sign of love. Don't you hit and don't be hit. If you can't touch and love, then don't do it at all. But don't be with nobody that don't see your worth, don't value you, and don't inspire you to be greater than what you are. If you know you smoke blunts and drink 40s, and that Negro ain't trying to elevate you to rosé, I don't know what to tell you. You need to be trying to get better and do better. We doing out here in society ain't what's up, babies. It's not. We all trying to outdo each other, but I want you to put your crown on and I'm gonna help you fix it, baby. Get your glow and don't let nobody take it. It's called self-love. It's what you give yourself above everybody else. You cannot give to others what you do not have to give. And I am incapable of loving you if I don't love me. And most of these men out here are broken and they don't know how to love because they've been taught the wrong thing. Even some of the females have been taught the wrong thing. We need to reevaluate what we consider a self-love. That's what I want. And for all the young ladies who might think that Negro is what's up and you'll do everything for him, ask him to get a job for you. Ask him to get your credit score up to 800. Ask him to get you out of debt and not have to sell drugs to do it. Ask him, can we work hard to go to college? The next time a Negro tell you, let's go five for blunt, and he asks you what your GPR was, what what did you learn, or what are you trying to go? Because it's okay to smoke a little marijuana. I do too. And it's appropriate time and place. I, I, that's my coping mechanism if I need that, but I don't allow anything and anyone to stop me from my focus and my purpose. And the most powerful thing, any, especially a black woman, a black woman with a purpose is a force to be reckoned with. That's what I want to say to my young girls. Find your purpose. So, again, did your baby daddy stand by you for them 27 years that you spent in prison? Yeah. We went to prison together. Huh. Yeah, we went huh. to prison together. Okay. So, so when I say stand by you, he stood next to you in the prison cell. No, 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 no. So how that played out? Well, he went to the men's prison and I went to the women's prison. Is he serving life? No, actually he served 20 to 40. He did 23 years and got out. Ain't that nice. He was at the scene of the crime. So what that tells you, what that, what that tells us, what that tells our young ladies out there. That y'all going to be penalized more than the Negro. And nine times out of ten, they gonna be out of prison making babies on you when you gonna be still locked up. Mm. Wow, that's deep because you would think that your man that love you or proclaim to love you, your king got the crown. I'm taking this. I'm taking this one for my queen. But that's not how it always turned out. Too often we see queens mm. taking cases, taking the fall, taking the fall for the king. No, and that'd be a joker. That, that don't be a king that they take the fall for it. That'd be no, a joker I'm, we didn't feel. Put from. a little side cast them in there because I want my <laughs> sisters to know to that a lot of the time we have brothers that proclaim to be running these street corners, running the block, 
But when they sit down in them homicides interrogation rooms and they handcuff to that chair and their whole life flash right in front of them and you have a detective telling you, I'm putting you in jail for life. Guess what happened, sisters? I ain't do. She did it. I was just taking him there. And a lot of the time, a lot of the dudes look at that dude like, oh man, he did what he had to do. We don't consider that a snitch. A lot of the time, them dudes come home and go on and continue their life and doing to the next sidekick, to the next side chick, my piece, whatever you want to call it. And this is the truth. This is the truth. This go on. I know brothers, they've done that. I know brothers, they've done crazy stuff. And they women are serving life and they are in the street because they told on them and testify and gave statement against them. So if you think, sister, that that man is going to ride or die for you, you got the wrong interpretation of love. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you don't believe me, we have Miss Kent telling you, you know. Absolutely. It's every man for himself once the handcuffs get on. When you wearing them metal braces, baby, the females be the dumbest ones being faithful and dedicated and lips closed. And I'm, I'm standing by my man. Ooh, I ain't saying a word. And they be singing like canaries. You think they be Anita Baker and you be the one talking about I ain't saying nothing. The one you that know, been turned around and wear the pants and he be having on the skirt telling. And a lot of times, a lot of the times, I always say that the female prisoners and prisoners have it worse than the male because in the male prisons, we got a lot of programs. We get to do a lot of stuff. A lot of the time, the female prisoners are all the way in the boondocks where nobody go to. They don't get the same activities we get. They don't get the same community support that we get. A lot of the times, the women's go into the prisons and they got to find other prisoners to attach themselves to and become family because a lot of the time, families forget about yourself. Money orders don't come in. The Christmas cards don't come in. Letters don't come in. Visits don't come in. It's rare. It's rare that you see women get weekly visits year after years, months after month. It's very rare. And those that do is because they have strong family ties. You know, yes. but not every woman prisoners get visit or Christmas call. That's why when you mention their names, a lot of people was like, who's that? Well, that's a woman that's been incarcerated in your state for 30, 40 years. I never heard of her. Mm-hmm. It's because the women's prisons are designed for society to forget about them. To forget they exist. And that's the truth. If you go to any visiting room, and the sad part is that if you go to any visiting room in any county prison or state prison across the United States, you know what you see in the visiting rooms, ladies and gentlemen? Women's. Mothers, grandmothers, aunts, girlfriends, sidekicks, side chicks, whatever you want to call it, they the one in the visiting room. They the one. You don't see the homies in the visiting room week after weeks. Like I said in my podcast, I took a case for one of the biggest drug dealers in Philadelphia. And I never got a visit from that guy. And I took a case with a life sentence for that guy. Never got a visit. The only people that visit. How did that make you feel, bro? It's a learning experience. You know, if I had to do it again, that dude won't do his time. And you call it what you want to call it. Because I went to prison because of the cold of the street. And then I realized. You know what? They use the fact that you were young. And then, and then and I realized, to I realized take 30 advantage. years later that there is no coal of the streets. I realized 30 years later that I've robbed myself of a life potential. So I say this to the sisters. There's not that much love in the world for you to go to prison for a man. 
There's not that much love in the world. I don't care how how much you, you think he love you. When your ass get locked up, he's not gonna be there for you. He's not gonna send you them Christmas cards. He's not gonna send you commissary money. If anything, he's probably gonna create a baby with your sister or your best friend. Cause that's how the game go. Kevin? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> everything you just said is absolutely true. I, 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 in fact, you can roll that into halfway houses. You got women coming by, leaving cigarettes, leaving food, taking people out to lunch. And when you go to a women's halfway house, it's not the same deal. It, I no. mean, it just continues on and on. And, you know, a lot of women I was in the long-term treatment program I was in took women from prison. So I was in a, in a mixed program and they would tell me stories of just being out there way out in the middle of nowhere. Like Suave was saying, no visitors, no letters. And oftentimes they didn't have people coming to see him in, in rehab either. We would do, we would just end up doing big like group passes together because they would come along with our, the men's families because they weren't getting visits. They were just, but when they got done, they were expected to go right back to being moms or being the head of the household, holding everything down. But when they were away, no one came to see him. And how do you unbreak that, that kind of broken system? This is actually one of the, the best interviews we've had too, because it's also making me feel uncomfortable because I'm thinking about even just how I treat my wife on a day-to-day -day basis. And we have a good life. Well, you, know, you know, uncomfortable we show, is good. Right? Yeah, you yes. know what we say on the show, right? If yeah. you feel uncomfortable, then this message is for you. Yeah. Because we're not here to make nobody feel happy. We're not here to sugarcoat it. Mm -hmm. The reason I asked him to come on the show is because I know her struggle. It's because I know that when she came home, she could have easily said, you know what, I've done my time. I'm gonna go ahead and live my life. But no, that ain't what she do. She went, she came home and created Redeeming Kimberly, talking to victims, bringing victims and offenders together, trying to bring some healing in the community. That's what she did. That's what she do. You know, I met Kimberly in D.C. Um, um, in 2018, I believe. Yes. And the first thing she said was, brother, welcome home. We got a whole lot of work to do. And, you know, and to me, that stood out like, dang. I'm thinking I'm coming to D.C. to have a party and to relax from Philadelphia. I got to come work, too, in D.C.? And then when I heard about the time that she done, I'm like, wow. Because up to this point, I have never met a woman juvenile lifer, period. You hear about them, but I never heard I never met one. And then to meet one in a state like Michigan, and she's putting in the work that our brother's supposed to be putting in. And I'm like, you know what? That's somebody I got to stay connected to for whatever, because young women need to understand that this could happen to you tomorrow. Yes. Because yes, even is. though the United States Supreme Court ruled that they can't give you life, they would take you in that courtroom and give you football numbers. They would give you biblical time. And what that means, they would give you 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 to 100 years. They will give you that time. They will give you that time. And when you go away as a woman, man, I feel sorry for you. Because that dude, that dude that you claim your boo or whatever you want to call him is not going to write you. It's not going to send you money orders. It's not going to pay your lawyer. It's not going to get no private investigator. If anything, he's probably going to go hang out with your best friend, your sister, or somebody close to you. And that's the way it is. That's life in the game. So what I'm saying to all the young women out there, there's not enough love out there for you to trade your life and the life of your loved ones. 
So think twice. Think about it. And if you don't believe me, contact Kimberly. She she's reachable. Yes, you I do am. Is redeeming Kimberly, and you she's reachable. She will tell you. You know, I'm not making this up. And as a dude, I want my brothers to feel uncomfortable. Don't text me. Don't DM me talking about why are you talking about us like that. Dude, you know who I'm talking to? I'm talking to all them dudes that like to use young girls to do their dirt in the street and then leave them in the dust. That's who I'm talking to. That's who I'm talking to. You know, because this just don't happen in the 80s and, and 90s. This is still happening today. Yes, it is. When you, got, when you got these old jokers messing with these young girls out there, and these young girls are packing their guns and holding their packages and taking cases for them. And it's not cool. So if you're one of them dudes, you should feel uncomfortable. Because now we have a show called Death by Incarceration that's gonna expose your ass. And we are, and we ain't holding back. We ain't sugarcoating or nothing. And if we get your name and your paperwork and, and, and it's not right, we're gonna make sure we put your mugshot up in our website so other young girls know to stay away from your ass. And and, and, that, and that's how we coming. That's how we coming. Because we cannot allow the prison system, right, to suck the blood out of our young sisters. Because when a sister go to jail, it's a family structure get destroyed. Because the sisters are the one that produce. And if they are put away, they can't produce. That means re-robbing our community from future leaders. And we can't have that. Kevin, any last words? So one of the things that struck me was very few juvenile lifers have been released in Michigan. How many juvenile lifers that have been paroled in Michigan have gone back? Have, have none. None. Zero. Not none. I know uh, a few of us has passed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, a few of us. We had a few losses, but it was not to Anybody actually I know, back. Kim? Anybody um, you know? Did you know oh, Tim Jordan? Little Tim? Yeah. He was real sick. He passed away. I had to go to his funeral. Eric Cannon, he got shot over his jacket. So, you wow. know, we've had a few, you know, a few losses of our brothers. That's why it's so much important that we all stick together and be there for each other because people don't understand how it feels to be locked up as a child, do decades in prison and be released without any way of saying, here, we know you've never been an adult. He didn't teach you any coping skills on how to be an adult. We just threw you away and housed you in prison because we thought you were an animal and we really didn't ever want to release you. Regardless of the fact that you were a kid and we knew better. And now we're going to release you in society with no resources whatsoever. That is why Redeeming Kimberly exists. One, I want everybody to know we are all in the process of being redeemed. Two, I'll be your resource for you. Because it shouldn't be that who you know on whether you succeed in life. All of us get our first chance. Everybody deserves that first chance. Take it home, Kevin. That is powerful stuff. So, Kim, thank you so much. I, I just can't even, it's a total honor to talk to you. You have so many reasons that we could list that we heard in this in this episode to say why you wouldn't be doing this work. And you make no excuses and you make all kinds of amends for the things that you did and you truly own who you are. And it's, it is really an honor to talk to you like truly and deeply. I am just so honored. I'm honored to be with both of you. Suave every day with this is just truly amazing. And again, our goal is to humanize and to make sure people know there's a story behind this number. So just thank you so much for everything that you do. We can't honor you enough. Thank you for showing up like always. God bless you and your child and Thanks, your family. Thanks, bro. I appreciate you. And, and Kevin, it was nice to meet you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Next week, we talk to Lorraine Haw, better known in Philadelphia as Mrs. Didi. My only son, when he was 18 with three months, got incarcerated 
My baby boy getting ready to be 45. He's been incarcerated 27 years and he didn't even take a life. As a victim of violent crime and the mother of an incarcerated son, Mrs. Didi knows all too well the struggles of marginalized communities, where the victims in one court are often the defendants in another. I have a son that's incarcerated, but I had a brother that was taken away by murder. So what part of one or the other does not make me a victim? What part of one or the other does not qualify me as a victim? We discuss how the system hands down death by incarceration sentences in terms of years, how we can be better advocates for both victims and for change, and what it's like to feel like you're the only voice fighting for your child. My son never had a chance from the door because he had an addict for a mother. His chances were already shot out the window. When he was incarcerated, I was lost to the world. I was just tired and realized my baby needs me because nobody's going to fight for him the way I'm going to fight for him. Stay tuned for next week's episode. We really appreciate you listening. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.